Good morning, St. Barnabas. What a privilege God has given us this morning again to sit around his word. We are continuing our series, major messages of the minor prophets, and uh, I will be bringing the book of Obadiah to us today, which is uh, this, the fourth talk uh, of this part. And uh, it's a continuation on what we studied last week as we are looking at God and the nations. And then Reverend Bhuyani Sindo will finish for us next week. We'll read Obadiah, the whole book, 21 verses, and then I'll pray for us and we'll get directly into God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord, an envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cliffs of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like an eagle and make your nest among the, among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers come to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Isu will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. Or your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set it up for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Teman, men of understanding in the mountains of Isu? Your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Isu's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter because of the violence against your brother Jacob. You will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. 
but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire. In the house of Joseph, a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. And they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. And people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Israel, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Please bow with me as I lead us in prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for the time of your word. May you speak faithfully to us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Family. It is one of the most precious institutions that gives belongingness. From childhood and after agreeing to spend their time together, members of the family develop a sense of intimacy, trust, and sacrifice for the other. Everyone expects their family member or friends to support them in their time of dire need. But then, how do you feel when your close relative becomes the person who is trying in every possible way to plot against you? From who do you feel much pain if mistreated? Is it from a relative and a friend? Or someone you don't know. I guess many of us would agree to say we feel so much pain when we have been mistreated by someone else that we know. We feel betrayed. And we even at times feel like God is far from us. And friends, we are not the first people to feel this way. The southern kingdom of Judah felt the same way when they were mistreated by their own brother, Edom during their time of exile. In this despairing time, Judah asked a question like, are we still God's people without our land? And to these despairing people of Judah, God sent the prophet Obadiah to speak a word of encouragement to them. Obadiah's name means the Lord's servant. And to properly understand Obadiah's message, Let's look at its background. The book of Obadiah, if we read chapter 1, verse 1, contains the message of Obadiah the prophet, who lived over 200 years after Micah and Nahum that we have just started. Obadiah's message came over 600 years 
before Jesus was born. And this will be after God had destroyed the Assyrians for Judah using Babylon. Unfortunately, Judah didn't obey the Lord continually. So God sent them to exile. According to Jeremiah 52, verse 12 to 14, the Babylonians came and destroyed everything in Jerusalem and took those in leadership and the rich people into exile, only leaving the poor in the land. And on the day that the Babylonians came to destroy Judah, one nation that lived to the southeastern part of Judah, Edom, could have helped Judah, but they did not. Actually, as we shall see later, Edom joined Babylon against Judah, and later even decided to expand their territory by moving and living in the land of Judah. But in exile, God continued to encourage his people through the message of people like uh, Ezekiel and even later Jeremiah, who told them that God would bring the Jews, would bring Judah back into their land and they will rebuild. But which land will they go back to since the better part of their land has mostly now been occupied by the Edomites? who were even boasting to say no one else would displace them. This is where God sent the prophet Obadiah to tell the people of Judah that Edom's time was over. God would judge them severely and give Judah back her land. But who's Edom? According to Genesis chapter 25, from verse 29 to 34, Edom is a name that was given to Esau, the brother of Jacob. After he came home exhausted and hungry and asked red stew from Jacob who was cooking, if we read verse 30. And by requesting the red stew, the last part of Genesis chapter 25 verse 30 tells us that that is why he was named Edom. So Edom is Esau who together with Jacob were the descendants of Abraham and the children of Isaac. Take note of something here. While Esau started to be called Edom, Israel was later named, uh, sorry, Jacob was, na was later named Israel after wrestling with the angel of the Lord. So the children of Edom will be called the Edomites, whilst the children of Jacob will be called the Israelites. Obadiah's message was going to the Edomites. Let me make mention that the issue of the stolen birthright became a point of conflict between Esau and Jacob. Of course, eventually they agreed uh, and embrace each other if you read chapter 33 of Genesis. However, even though that happened, as we will see later, their descendants, the Edomites, continue to mistreat the Israelites 
up to the time as recorded in the book of Obadiah that the Edomites were there during the time that Judah was taken to exile and they contributed towards it. Now, there Judah is in exile and they had so many questions. Are we still God's people without our land? With Edom in our land, is Edom a new people of God? What is next for us? Will God just leave our brothers who mistreated us? Does, does God even care at all? And Obadiah tells the people of Judah that actually God cares. And that their true identity is in him. He will reestablish them. To Judah, Obadiah raises the question. Why should God be the only one in whom Judah should find their true identity? And Obadiah gives two reasons. One, because he is a sovereign Lord who deals with all human pride. Verses 1 to 9. And 2, or so he is a relational God who doesn't condone any violence. Verses 10 to 22. Now, let us look at our passage. Judah should find his identity in God because he is the sovereign Lord who deals with all human pride. Verse 1 to verse 9. Our passage begins with validating Obadiah's message in verse 1, 1. By showing that Obadiah received his message from the sovereign Lord himself. It starts on a very high note with a casual event where an envoy has been sent to mobilize nations against Edom. In verse 1, the nations are called to rise and go to war against Edom. Then verse 2, in that verse, God directly speaks to Edom to say, I will make you small from among the nations, and you will be utterly despised. But then, why are the nations mobilized against Edom? And why will God make Edom small? Verse 3a answers that Edom had a problem. And Edom's real problem was a proud and an arrogant heart. And to emphasize on Edom's pride, verse 4 uses two height images, which are the eagle that builds its nest very high, and the stars that are very high in the heavens where nobody else has ever reached. But what caused Edom's pride. The two background sentences of verse 3b and verse 3c give an insight. Edom lived in the cleft of the rocks, verse 3b, and had height as his dwelling, verse 3c, verse 3c. So why should height be something to pride in? Both history and archaeology show us that unlike the other nations that lived in the valley 
where enemy nations could easily come and attack, Edom lived in a mountainous area. So Edom took pride in this high geographical position. They felt very secured and protected in it. They found more security in their dwelling. Hence, as they expected the answer no at the end of verse 3, or no one, they arrogantly asked the rhetorical question, who will bring us down to the ground? Yet contrary to their expected answer that no one would bring them down, verse 3a reveals God's point of view, which is that Edom was deceived. Their hope in the unshaken will be shaken by God who says that he will bring them down himself in verse 4. So Edom's problem was pride and as one writer puts it, their pride was spiritually suicidal. God would punish him. Take note of something here. In his action against Edom, Verse 7 shows that God would use human agents who are portrayed as Edom's confidants. Obadiah uses three descriptions to give the real identity of this confidence. He says they are Edom's allies, Edom's friends, and also those who were eating with them. These partners will raid Edom like thieves who rob at night, verse 5, and there will be nothing that will remain in Edom. Like with Edom, the ancient reader of this text, where keeping covenant was central, would have been shocked or even have shivers, if we are talking like today, to hear that a covenant partner would betray another. How can that even be possible? According to verse 8 and 9, it will be possible because those confidence will be acting according to God. God will move them to do that. And through the betraying actions of this confidence, the Lord would attack three groups of people in Edom which are the wise and the understanding ones. Let me make mention here to say Edom was famous for her wisdom. Actually, the whole book of Job takes place in Uz or Az, if we read Job chapter 1 verse 1, which was in the land of Edom, if you connect it with Lamentations, chapter 4 verse 21. And actually also one of the uh, the wise men in the book of Job, Elphaz, is from Teman, which is a city that is receiving judgment in Obadiah 9. God says that he will destroy these wise men. The second group of people, you have the fighting men that God will confuse and they will be terrified to not fight. And by not fighting, they will live Edom prone to attacks, which will lead to the third thing, that everyone from Esau will be cut down 
the slaughter. Verse 9. In all, Edom was proud of his position. They found their security and identity in their dwelling and become, became overconfident in themselves, thinking that no one would deal with them, but God is coming to destroy them using their own allies. Listening to this first part of Edom's scene, it is easy, isn't it? Friends, to say or to think that Edom's opposition for God was actually too much and that we are not like them. But friends, let us take note that pride is a human problem. And because you and me are human beings, pride is our problem. But what is pride to us? It is a feeling of deep pleasure and satisfaction derived from our achievement. How does pride show itself? It reveals it, itself in anything that focuses so much on admiring and thinking about myself. Pride is the opposite of humility. For humility and not self-pity says my neighbor is better than me so I will have to respect them and learn from them. While pride says I know better, so everyone should bow to what I say. Humility says this person is important, so they deserve to be promoted in this company and not me. Or Sprite says, I am the better person and should have got this promotion and not them. Humility believes in the good of the other people, while Sprite believes only in the good of oneself. Are you a proud or a humble person? If I ask a question, are you a proud individual? M many of us would say, no, not at all. But take a note of something. It is very easy to become inflated even because of the very giftings that the Lord has given us for ministry. What do I mean? You may be a teacher or a musician, a person who leads church services, or someone who serves in the kitchen, on welcome, and that you serve really well. And then every time you serve, people come to you to appreciate how well you serve than other people, which should be an encouragement to you, confirming the gifting that God has given you. However, these same encouragements are what you and I should watch out for. The person comes to us to encourage us. But the issue is, what do I do with those praises? Do I direct them to God, thanking Him for His faithfulness in His Word and praying for more guidance as I serve, or I pile them together for myself? Let us watch out. Since the process of piling the praises together may get me inflated to start thinking that it is by my own capabilities that I do well whatever I do. And that may lead me to stop relying on the Holy Spirit. And what kind of service will it be to say you are serving God 
without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But maybe your pride may be in something different. Is it perhaps pride in children, financial or intellectual capabilities, your job, your family, your wealth, and anything maybe that is not God? Have we found so much identity and security in what has been given to us and not in the one who has given us those things? One time I asked a friend, what is your strength? And he says, and I quote, I am a very humble person. Yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? Hasn't it occurred to you, friends, to say that the very thought to oneself that I am a very humble person is pride in itself? What? We may react. What? Pride in humility? What? What are you really trying to say here? Friends, I'm trying to say that there is a very fine line between pride and humility. It is a very fine line that I gradually cross, even unknowingly. For Edom, it started with looking at their environment, putting all their hopes and identifying themselves with it, which led to despising all the other nations around them and also God. And God said he would deal with them because of that. Because it was a fantasy and he was coming against him. Friends, God hates pride of any kind and he judges it because it is a false identity that is outside him. The moment we start focusing on what we receive plus our strength and not who made us receive those, we are on a wrong lane. All this then sounds hopeless for us, doesn't it? How can we guard ourselves against pride? Is there any hope at all? No, we can't guard ourselves against pride because we don't have the power to. Then where is our hope? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 9, Paul gives us our hope, the mind of Christ, without, without which we are nothing. Philippians says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on the cross. Friends, in his lifetime, Jesus' denial of pride is practically pictured in the wilderness where having known that he had his greatest strength 
as the son of God. The devil tempted him, saying, If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. Matthew 4, verse 6. And although Jesus knew that, it would have, it would have been possible for him to throw himself down. He also knew that doing that could have just been a showcase of power or pride and worshipping the devil. So, using God's word, he denied Matthew 4 verse 7. Proverbs 16 verse 5 says that the Lord detests, opposes, and punishes those who are proud in heart. Friends, it is only Jesus who even after being encouraged to inflate himself but did not, it is only him who can help us against our defiance acts of pride that opposes God. His word in us and by the enablement of the power of the Holy Spirit will enable us to remain humble and not inflated and opposing God. May the Lord really help us to remain humble as we rely on Him always. But God's action against Edom, Edom's pride, was not the only reason Obadiah encouraged Judah to find his identity in God alone. Obadiah 10 to 21 give us another reason which takes us to our second point. Edom should find his identity in God alone because he is a relation of God who doesn't condone any violence. Having presented Edom who by God's humbling act would be a victim of betrayal in verses 1 and 9. Obadiah 4, Obadiah 10 to 14, now contrast the image of Edom as the betrayed and Edom, the betrayer who acts violently against his brother Jacob. God's verdict, according to verse 10, is because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. But what is the violence that Edom did towards Jacob. Verse 11 summarizes and verses 12 to 14 detail this violence. According to Obadiah 11, Edom mistreated Judah on the day their enemy Babylon came to destroy them. Obadiah 11 to 14 shows that on that day Edom mistreated Judah both passively and, and actively. Verses 11 and 12 show the passive ways in which Edom mistreated Judah. Four things are mentioned. They stood aloof or just at a distance and just watching whilst foreigners entered the gates of their brothers and carried off their wealth. In verse 11. And three things are mentioned in verse 12. Edom gloated or delighted in. They rejoiced and boasted over the trouble of his brother Judah. Not something here. 
In verse 11, Obadiah uses words that are the opposite of a brother like a stranger and foreigners to paint a graphic image that Edom's passive role made them become less brotherly and as an accomplice. They didn't behave like how a brother would, but they behaved like a foreigner who would easily be violent and attack another person or nation. But Edom, so Edom acted passively, but Edom also actively acted against Judah as revealed in the negative verbs of verses 13 to 14. For according to verse 13, Edom entered the gate of Jacob, looked upon, they seized or looted Judah's wealth when Judah was in trouble. Was verse 14 presents two other points that Edom waited at the crossroads, killing the third point, people from Judah who were escaping from Babylon, Babylonian invasion, but also catching and handing them over. To Babylon. Friends, we are talking about Judah's own brother Edom who is doing all these things. Can you imagine your family putting you through so much pain? I guess some of us would understand. Obadiah 10 to 14 presents Edom as a brother of Israel, but then Edom as the brother of Israel, we're talking about Judah here. But then the passage goes further to see that Judah has had a specific relationship with God who calls them my people. Experts of the ancient world shows that. It is only Yahweh or the God of Israel and Israel who had a direct and a primary relationship between himself and the people group or a nation. Because among all the nations and the gods of the time, the relationship was between land and the God that they worshipped. So, Judah has a relational God who calls him my people. And remember this time, Judah is in exile. So, by just calling Judah my people, it is such a statement of comfort and hope to them that the only relational God was still their father, even without being in their land. And you see, what this relational God even plans to do for Judah is more than Judah expected. He will destroy the violent brothers, displace them from the stolen land, and give the land back to Judah. The message of verses 16 to 21 that begins in verse 15, with the announcement of the day of the vengeance of the, of the Lord, shows 
how God will use violence against a violent nation. He will avenge them in the exact way they mistreated Judah. Two things we can pick up from verses 16 to 21. The first one is that God will use his own people, Judah, to humiliate and judge Edom. The passage says that Jacob will become a fire and Joseph will be a flame to consume the house of Israel that is pictured as shown in verse 18. The extent of damage of the consuming fire is that there will be no survivors. And Edom will cease to exist if we, if we read verse 18. Second, there is so much detail in verses 17 to 21 on the new occupation. And God will displace Edom, of course, give back the land to Judah, but Judah would now have a new boundary because they will even acquire Edom's land and even the land that belong to many Canaanite nations that are mentioned in our passage. And if we read the many names that are mentioned in verse 17 to 21 and compare them to Deuteronomy 1 and Joshua 17 where there is allotment of land, we see that the what the passage is saying is that Judah's land will be restored and their boundaries will actually go to the previous glory and even beyond. The brother who was in their land will be overthrown and the land will be given back to them. And having deliverers moving over from Mount Zion to judge. the mountain of Esau. God would judge Edom because of his violence against his brother. This prophecy was fulfilled by the first century AD because when that time came, Edom had been destroyed in around 164 AD by Judas Maccabeus. Edom did not exist at all. Friends, God is the relational God who hates any kind of violence and he judges it. And since Edom's name comes from the same stem, like Adam, which represents humanity, Edom represents humanity. Edom is an example of all the nations and peoples who are hostile to God and violent to other people. God will still protect his people. In the book of Obadiah, we see four aspects of God's message of judgment. That evil will certainly be punished by the day of the Lord, on the day of the Lord that is coming. Those that have their identity in God and are faithful to him have hope for the new future Second point. And God is sovereign over history. We see that in Obadiah. And that God's ultimate purpose 
is to develop his kingdom. The Edomites had been cruel to God's people. They were arrogant and proud. And they took advantage of others' misfortune. And God dealt with them. Friends, for Edom, it was plain violence. And maybe that may be the case for you and me today. But remember something. If you might be thinking to say, oh no, I'm not violent like them. Edom's violence did not just start in a day. It was a gradual development. It started with the hatred between their forefathers and they took it over and nursed it so that even their forefathers reconciled. Edom continued. And the Edomites continued to mistreat Judah. And friends, as much as this warning is gives an aspect of how we should be careful as parents on what we tell our children, on who to hate and who to love because we hate and love them. The biggest message that the, pass, the passage gives is that we need to watch out so that we don't hate other people groups because of what we have been taught. Of course, for those that are violent, the passage says, the day of the Lord is coming. And it will be the day of vengeance. But if the passage is giving us an aspect of not hating others, how do we not hate other people who hate us? How can I not hate someone who just killed my relative yesterday in the recent violence? The New Testament acknowledges that. Indeed, it is tough to not hate those that hurt us, but cause us to the alternative that only God gives through Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 and 20 says, We should love those that hate us. 1 John chapter 4, Verse 19 and 20 says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claimed to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Verse 21, And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Friends, it is indeed easy to hate those that are violent towards us. But take note that hate is a step towards violence and our avenging God warns us against violence because he will be the one that will avenge. But we may ask, then how can I practically love the one who hates me? I want to propose the following five things. In the first place, allow yourself to heal. Give yourself time. Don't be too hard on yourself. 
the second thing try once again to understand why do you hate them did they really wrong you or you hate them because someone else told you the third thing make a move towards them if possible but what if they reject if they deny and although in pain come to the Lord and ask him to help you number four forgive them and after that continuously pray for them because God can change situations I recently watched a YouTube video of a TED speaker Azam Kamisa a father whose son was murdered by another teenager in 1995 Azam says that the news of his son's murder devastated him. He became very angry. But he mentioned that. After his anger somewhat subsided, and I caught, I developed a sense of understanding that they are victims at both ends of the gun. So working with the grandfather of the killer, Adam launched a foundation in the name of his son Tariq to deter kids from choosing the path of violence, which according to him he says is a real enemy. Adam also gave a chance to the killer. He had a conversation with him. He forgave and in their meeting, this is what he says. I was looking in his eyes to try and find a murderer. And I wasn't able to do that. I only touched his humanity. And I got that a spark in him was no different than the spark in you and me. And I wasn't expecting that. So although Tony Hicks, who is a killer, is still in jail. He now writes for Azim's foundation. And this is what Tony himself says. I know now that I am a part of a greater community of humanity. That I have a responsibility not only to atone for murdering Tariq, but to be a service to other people wherever I can, in the hopes of easing some of the hate and pain in the lives of others. Friends, there is a spark of humanity in everyone. And one act of love from you and me to those that are violent towards us, removes a string of hatred that could have resulted in more violence. And God calls us to that. But to those that continue in violence, God himself will deal with them. And because our avenging and relational God is God, he calls us to find our identity in him. For it is only in him and it is only him 
who can enable us against every pride, violence, and hate. May the Holy Spirit move us to find our identity in the just and relational God who can even enable us to resolve conflicts in love and peace as we live all proud and violent to Him. May the Lord help us this morning. May the Lord be with you. Please bow with me as I pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before your presence. Thank you for speaking to us. May you help us, O oh Lord, to find this true identity in you and in you alone. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.